Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Eric Estep. And I'm Scott Reevely. And we, as promised last time, are going to jump into some harder issues. We we assumed some would be on the other side of their keyboards, accusing us of of only taking the easy ones, cherry picking it. So we're going to jump into some uh, jump into some harder ones. And there is, I, I don't know, Scott. If you scroll Facebook a little bit, you you can probably see some fear about the government maybe um, making a theological statement or, or deciding that people with theological beliefs can't do things that are under our religious convictions. And easily the knee-jerk reaction is, no, you can't do that. So I'm there thinking... Might little, there might be a little fear there, yes. There's, there's some fear that. there, yeah. yeah. Um, so what do we... What should our posture be in that? What what are some scriptures that refer to these type of things, and what can we do? Well, the I, I think probably again I, I think in terms of kind of go to scriptures, and the go to scripture on this probably would be Acts chapter five, verse twenty nine. But Peter and the apostles answered, "We must obey God rather than men." The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And then they go off and preach the gospel and the resurrection. And, um, but they say we better obey God rather than men. And so when uh, it comes to these sorts of things, I do hear this verse come back. Like, okay, Pastor, when do we say we must obey God rather than men? Where's the line? Right. Where's the line? What do they have to do? I mean, if they tell us we can't meet, if they tell us we can only meet with 25, if they tell us that we have to wear a mask and be distant, if they tell us that we have to change our belief about human sexuality, what what is going to be the line where ultimately you're going to say, um, you know, we must obey God rather than men? And, and that's a great question. And I do think I, in fact, I think that's one of the reasons that I want to submit in the situations that we're in right now on masks and distance and, and the guidelines we have for this pandemic, because I want my civil disobedience to matter mm. about the gospel. And I want to I want to hold back so that when I do have to act contrary, it's clear that it's about the gospel and not about my comfort and not about my preferences and not about my rights hmm. about the gospel. However, that said, that's not what Acts chapter five is about. <laughs> Acts chapter five is uh, crazy, actually, when you think about it, because this is not a government conversation. This is a conversation with religious leaders. Um, if you read the whole thing, verse 27, it says, and when they brought them, they set them before the council or the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish council of elders, the high priest questioned them. So this is a high priest and Jewish leaders questioning them. This is not a government restriction. 
We charge you not to teach in this name, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men, and the God of our fathers raised Jesus. And he goes on preaching the gospel and the uh, resurrection. So uh, it, it's interesting to me that we assume this is the government. And it's really, a, you know, religious pressure rather than governmental pressure. And not to say we couldn't get governmental pressure, not to say that we couldn't sure. get some other kind of pressure, economic pressure or physical pressure or whatever. But um, the, the context that this comes up in is, um, is religious, religious persecution, basically from another religious group. So, um, but yeah, I would, I would say that it's really clearly when we're told to alter the message and alter what, uh, what God actually says, that's definitely the line because you have to obey God rather than men. But, but even when it says that, it, that was talking about non-governmental conflict. Um, well, what's really interesting about Acts, and you, you might be jumping here, Peter deals with this, Paul deals with this, um, and in trying to escape that conflict, that pressure, Paul goes all the way to appealing to Caesar. Yeah, yeah. He, appe he appeals the government to the governmental authority uh, all the way to the top, which is kind of crazy that he ends up all the way, <laughs> all the way to where Caesar is. But he's mm -hmm. appealing um, to the authorities that he's submissive to um, in trying to relieve the pressure from other other institutions. Yeah, I, I think that they had, you know, they had an arrangement that we don't have, right? I mean, sure. neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple have I, you know, or against Caesar have I committed any offense. And so there's these jurisdictions, you know, some of which are religious, some of which are governmental. And um, the, I think the religious uh, jurisdictions were, were given, you know, sort of limited reign there. Uh, under Caesar, and so they were all in a knot about um, Paul's preaching of the gospel, and so they stirred up their religious animosity toward him, and the way that he chose to, um, I don't know, escape or gain protection was to um, appeal to Caesar. So, so, so he used the fact that <laughs> Caesar had a higher um, jurisdiction than these Jews. Um, and even then, he says to the Jews, I've done no wrong. I mean, it's not like I'm guilty, but I'm going to appeal to Caesar. It's like I'm innocent and I'm going to appeal to Caesar right. to, to be safe. So, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not any kind of disobedience anywhere in here, but he does utilize his citizenship there. Um, and, you know, we're told. Yeah, this is a, it becomes problematic later because if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could they could let him go. But well, because he did, he better go see Caesar. Caesar's got him on the calendar. So hmm. um, there, I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. To you know, to utilize your Roman citizenship or your, you know, United States citizenship. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But uh, again, this. 
what you see in the New Testament is not what we have now. That's, I think, some of what you're getting at, Eric, when you brought that up, is that this religious conflict that Peter and John had about um, preaching and they have to obey God rather than man. Paul had the same kind of religious conflict that he uh, hoped Caesar would rescue him out of, so he appeals to Caesar. And actually, well, he does get rescued because they send him there. Um, so it, that's a that's a different kind of a thing than we have, mm-hmm. but um, n- nonetheless, not was wrong for Paul to appeal, and uh, he had rights that he utilized, and that's fine. Right. But they were not rights against the government. They were not, and even his appealing against the Jews was not necessarily an appeal against government. It was the appeal again, you know, for protection from this religious jurisdiction that was to to whom he'd done no wrong that was fired up about something that they made up so Hmm. it it really was a different kind of a thing than we would normally have um, in our world i'm trying to i can't i can't really think of a situation that would be quite like it um, where somebody would say oh yeah well this is i'm going to go against the government this level of government because a higher government is going to be okay. I mean, you can, you have courts that you can appeal to and that sort of thing, but it's not quite the same. When our, our system is explicitly set up so that the institutions of, of church are not overlapping with the institutions of state, which makes it a little bit hard for us even to understand this context. Like then yeah. you could even, you could even go to Caesar cause I have this religious conflict going on. <laughs> yeah. That's a very odd, um, odd thing. But yeah, also... ima- imagine that. Imagine you know being in you know sideways with the some other religion or sideways with the Jewish synagogue down the street, and saying, "Okay, we're we're going to settle this. We're going to settle this Oregon Supreme Court or something." It's like, right? Oh, well, that's weird. Okay, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but there there is, uh, and I think this is worth noting more on the practical side. Paul could appeal to Caesar because he had Roman citizenship. We have a plethora of means of appeal mm-hmm. um, that we can engage because we're citizens of West Lynn, we're citizens of Oregon, we're citizens of the United States. And I, there's there's been a lot of s- sad examples to see during the pandemic, but there's also been, <clears throat> excuse me, some really good examples of, I've seen churches use that process with while restraining their character to the character of Christ and appeal in that process to say, you know what, I think, I think the way we've been restricted is too much. Um, and because they've had such a good uh, history of walking along and being submissive and then saying, hey, I, I want to raise my hand and appeal, it was, it was such a better, it was a, a better witness for one, but mm-hmm. also a better engagement of that process. I think Capitol Hill Baptist Church was one of them in D.C. that, I mean, we we were frustrated in Oregon, but we weren't locked down near to the degree that um, Washington, D.C. was, and they, they walked through that process well um, and engaged, engaged the tools they had, um, but with the character of Christ, I think, mm-hmm. which is, is laudable. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the character of Christ. I think there's another sort of... Um... Oh, it's not really a counterexample, but uh, interesting example. 
So in Luke chapter 13, the Pharisees come and say to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. The third day I finished my course. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then um, he begins to uh, say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, stones those that are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, you know, essentially, is, you know, is this some kind of civil disobedience? Is this some kind of um, attitude that Jesus is copying <laughs> toward Herod? Um, you know, I, I, I imagine that would be warranted since they say, get away from here, he's going to kill you. Well, okay, that warrants some sort of <laughs> alarm or um, something, but he says, go and tell that box. And, you know, it's the same, you know, the, he used the word or the metaphor uh, of a fox the same way that we would, right? Where it's somebody who is uh, crafty or somebody who is treacherous or cunning. Um, and, you know, it's probably, since Herod was trying to kill him, probably not far from the truth and it wasn't over the top i don't think it wasn't uh um, published in um wasn't trying to influence other people to um marshal themselves against herod it was simply a statement of herod's character and uh, not complimentary by any means but uh, Herod probably didn't warrant complimentary um <laughs> description either so yeah and then he just said hey you know i'm i'm not done here i'm going to jerusalem and you'll say bless the name when it comes in the name of the lord and so i do think that there's i don't know if you've got something else on that but i don't think that that's the same level of diatribe by any means that we have read on social media and things lately yeah and i think it's again we've we've talked about let scripture be your governor in just the way you do those things. And it's, it's easy to grab a little five word phrase and just run with it rather than how many times have we just pulled out and looked at context in these, these more difficult passages and seen what's going on. If I just want to justify my, um, my intense, we'll, we'll be a little bit gracious, my intense discussion on Facebook and you go, Oh, G Jesus called Herod a Fox. That probably wasn't very nice. Like, well, it's it's different than that. It's different than what mm, yeah. I often see on Facebook. And I, I even made the joke before we jumped on, I, just to refresh my memory, because I don't sit on Facebook that much. Like, okay, what is the general political temperature of the, my friends on Facebook? And just scrolled through real quick. Oh, this is, this is depressing. <laughs> yeah. This is not helpful. Um, there's, there's not the character of Christ being exuded on Facebook. Well, I think you've got, you know, you got a couple things, too. You just want to say, okay, how am I going to govern my own attitude about this? Okay, Jesus called Herod a fox. You know, therefore what? Right? Therefore, what, 
what freedom does that give me? I mean, if you want to, if you want to really seriously follow Jesus' example with respect to authority, um, then you've got a lot more hard things to do than just write a diatribe mm. on social media against the government, uh, the government, because you know Jesus, in the face of complete injustice, um, you know, went to the cross and was silent wasn't like he was arguing all the way. It wasn't like he was mm. marshalling his disciples, wasn't telling everybody his rights were being violated, though they were. Um, well, and explicitly stops the marshalling of the disciples. Yeah, right. Peter yeah. comes out with a sword. Nope, nope, Put that's not what we do. Yeah, so um, anyway, I mean, if you want to follow Jesus on that, I think those, the many examples of the way that he interacted with um, the government and rendering him to Caesar and all of that is probably a better indication because you got a lot more of those than you got him calling to some religious leaders again, Herod is a fox because Herod's trying to kill him. Now, it, again, that it's different if they're trying to kill you. If the government's trying to kill you, kill you. <laughs> you can tell some religious leaders they're fox, I suppose, and I'd let that go. But I think you want to be a little bit thoughtful about the way that you do that. Um, so I got one other. I got one other one that is uh, like, you know, hold those, um, hold those uh, legislators uh, accountable, right? Keep, keep people in their place because you got John the Baptist in uh, Matthew 14. You got John the Baptist who... Um, is killed because he got crosswise with Herod and he was trying to hold Herod accountable and that landed him in prison and then it caused him to lose his head and therefore one might say Christians Baptists in particular John the Baptist should hold their government accountable Okay, I think it's very interesting how this rolls um, because you've got John the Baptist. He, he is holding Philip accountable, but he's not holding him accountable, or excuse me, Herod accountable for uh, his policies. He's not holding him accountable for his governing. He's not holding him accountable for the way that he's treating John and these other citizens. He's holding him accountable for his own personal morality because he took his brother's wife and it's not lawful for you to have her. That's what he's holding him accountable for. And um, Herod was a chicken. He wanted to put him to death, but he feared the people because he thought he was a prophet. And his wife in particular was vindictive toward John because she didn't want the first husband. She wanted this husband. And when um, her daughter danced, she asked, for John the Baptist's head on the platter, and Herod gave it to her because, again, he was afraid. Uh, so, th the interesting thing about that um, is that it was the personal morality for which he was holding him accountable, not the policies. And it was, you know, it was a personal thing, much like you might do with somebody who wasn't in government. And this person in government just happened to have the power to take his, put his head on a platter. Um, but the other thing I will say is that 
there's been so much uh, about people being uptight uh, about um, let's just say conservative policies with a leader who was uh, whose character was immoral and they're excused that moral character for the sake of the policy then that is i mean that just is completely upside down from what's happening with john the baptist here hmm. uh that's that's what really is um just earth shattering to me is that john <laughs> is that john the baptist holds him accountable for his own personal life and um that i think is uh, kind of a beacon call for those of us who would support people in government is like, yeah, let's get people who, whose character we can support as well. So mm. anyway, again, all, all of these things are a lot more nuanced than they are when, if you, if you, if you read them in context and think about what's really going on, it's way different than mm. the conversation that I've been having in the last year or overhearing in the last year. Mm -hmm. about how Christians ought to deal with these things. Mm. And so um, anyway, that's, those are some of the more naughty problems, I suppose, that you run into in the various scriptures. Yeah, and I th one other thing I thought of with this Herod, because John the Baptist specifically says it is not lawful, mm -hmm. and he's referring to, one could assume he's referring to Old Testament laws, the laws of the Jews. Right whom Herod wanted to be the king of. And there's, I don't, I don't want to draw this too fine, but it seems if, if Herod wants to be connected to that, that law, then he's, he's almost asking for those things. One of the prophets of God for the people of Israel, um, he wants to be connected to that law to some degree. I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that fits, but, that just came to mind when he says it's not lawful because it's not a Roman yeah. law. I, I don't think I don't think you could be, yeah. I don't I don't think you could be. You could want to uh, govern the Jews and be their king, and not be subject to the law and have that work out very well. Right. Right. And that's I think what John called him on. So. And I think another, because I've had this discussion many a time with people, uh, talking about calling people out or calling. Whether for policy or character, I mm -hmm. I like if people cared more about calling people out for their character. That's <laughs> that'd be a great place to be. Um, but I've often talked talked about who who is actually in your proximity. Like who do you actually have influence over? John the Baptist clearly had influence oh, to some degree over. Yeah, he was yeah, talking with Herod yeah. and putting that as a a measurement of who you can talk to. I mean, there's a I always, in my head, go to the proverb, um, he who is excellent in his work will stand before kings. Like I, we don't, we don't stand in front of a lot of kings, but I would hope that we aim to be excellent in our work so that we can stand before, before kings so that we could be like a Daniel who can actually have influence on, he had, he had influence on the, the leader of all of Persia. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, if, if you have that influence, if you, if you know, let's make it smaller. If you know your mayor, if you know your city council person, if you know the, the president of your neighborhood association, okay, now you have some influence with them and you can, you can talk to them in, in ways that matter. 
like John the Baptist talked with Herod, um, or other ways. <laughs> uh, but think about where you actually have influence rather than just just throwing words into the void that they're never going to read, that they're never going to hear, that there's no, there's no influence being given there. Um, that's another thing I think about in, in the effectiveness of my speech. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, but to think about it, I mean, shouting into the void is might be cathartic, but at least it's safe. I mean, really, I shout into the void, nothing's going to come back at me. You actually call the homeowner association on his character, <laughs> or you call you call somebody that you actually know on something. There might be some bad repercussions, like there were for John the Baptist. Right, that might be one good way to tell if you're talking to the right person. You know, and so, there there might be change. There might right. be real There's that too. It's not necessarily a bad outcome. Right, there's actual possibility for for a good outcome. Just because it was for John the Baptist doesn't mean it will be for you. Right, right. That, that's something you can all take away. If if you have influenced <laughs> someone, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your head. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, on that high note, well, I guess shorter note, uh, we'll end it there. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, uh, a review would go a long way so that others can see this podcast so that it pops up on the searches. Um, if you're, you do find it helpful, also just share it with a friend. Shoot it over via text or message or however you communicate. We'd love for other people to do this and hear it. And if you have questions, send them to podcast at newlifeandw.com. And we look forward to the next conversation. Yeah.